0: Greeny with Mike Greenberg, the podcast.
1: Back and better than ever, Greeny presented by Progressive Insurance. My guests like Lewis Riddick in a moment on the Shell Pinswell performance line. He does Monday Night Football for us now at ESPN, and it's terrific. And he, they have themselves the game of the year, maybe a lot longer than that. With Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in Baltimore to play Lamar Jackson and the Ravens on Monday night. We'll talk about that with Lewis. A lot of other issues that came up this morning. When he was with me on Get Up, we'll get to the basketball as well. And I'm going to open the phones to you in just a few minutes. 888-SAY-ESPN, in which we will do a little version of what do you want to know? I'm going to ask you, you going to ask me whatever f- questions you'd like about sports, and I will do my best to answer them. But first, I will do the asking. Louis Riddick is with me on the Shell Penzel performance line. Hello again, Lewis Riddick.
2: What's going on, man? How are you, Green?
1: I'm I'm doing good. It's been several hours now since I've seen you. So, uh, but but I want to talk about your game first off Monday night, because, you know, we've circled this one on the schedule the minute that the schedule came out chiefs at Ravens. So the dynamic superstar young quarterbacks, and right now, probably the two best teams in the NFL. So as I know, you've been looking at the film, we know what the quarterbacks are. What else will make the decisions in this game? What, what will decide how this one turns
2: out? Well, I think defensively, you know, for the Ravens, it's are they able to make Pat Mahomes uncomfortable by either rushing with four or rushing with five or six because they're one of the most effective and most efficient blitzing teams in the NFL. And then as far as their coverage capabilities, Is their secondary able to play tight, aggressive man coverage against the Chiefs wide receivers, which, as we know, is like an Olympic-style 4-by-100-meter track team? But the teams that have given the Chiefs a lot of problems have been those teams that have been able to get physical with their wide receivers and throw off the timing mechanism both with the receivers and with Pat. And then, and or at the same time, be very, very familiar with the kind of schemes they like to run, and be able to kind of take care of them as the routes declare down the field. Which is what you saw last week against the Chargers. The Chargers, Gus Bradley, has a real good feel for Andy Reid's offense. And although they may not man for man be as good as the Ravens' secondary, they know what is coming by pre snap alignment and getting tips and indicators, because they play them so much that they they always give Pat a lot of problems. So I think that's one area that it's going to hinge on, that the outcome of this game is going to hinge on. And then the second would be really on the flip side, will the Chiefs defense be able to handle what really is a bullying type of offense from the Baltimore Ravens, a team that can really send two running backs at you in J.K. Dobbins and Mark Ingram that will just bloody your nose. And then there's Lamar, who's only the reigning NFL MVP. So, will they be able to step up to that challenge like they did last year in the, NFC, in the AFC Championship game with Derek Henry? So really I think it's, it's more about the defenses more so. Can they handle the corresponding styles of the offense? That's where I think the game is going to be decided. Pat and Lamar are going to make their plays. I don't think either one of them is just going to go wild because both of these teams are, are pretty darn good and they have played each other a couple of times, so they do have a good idea of what the other team is going to try and do. But I really think watch the defensive play. Watch the styles. Can the, can the Chiefs handle the Ravens' rushing attack, and can the Ravens slow down, you know, that track team that they have at wide receiver for the for the Chiefs?
1: They've actually played each of the last two years, and as we pointed out this morning on TV, um, the Chiefs have won both of those games. Those are two of the only three regular season games Lamar Jackson has lost. He took over yeah. Week Eleven of his rookie year. He lost one game to the Browns last year, two to the Chiefs, and that's it. Outside of that, he hasn't lost a game in the regular season. So that's a great one on Monday night, and obviously you're looking forward to it, and so are we. In the meantime, this past Monday night, you had Drew Brees and the Saints in Las Vegas, and the outcome of that game surprised a lot of people. Certainly it surprised me, and the way Brees has looked has been surprising. And part of the reason for that, Lewis, has been that I supposed going into this year— that the teams that have been together that have had the consistency that they've had with breeze and Sean Payton being together forever and everything else, that they would have an advantage as the season began without having had, you know, the preseason and the the regular, the postseason, the preseason games and the truncated off season and everything that they had. So as you watch it, why do you think it has looked the way it has looked for breeze? And do you think it gets better quickly?
2: Yeah, I, I think it's a multitude of things, Greeny. I think, you know, although they do have the familiarity and they have been a lot of these guys have been in this system for a long time and they've had, you know, a lot of success with it. I think some of it sometimes just comes down to good old lack of execution and consistency on the part of the Saints, And on the other side of the ball, I mean, look, I mean, the Buccaneers have a pretty good defense and you're going to hear about their defense as we progress through the rest of the season and the Raiders as a team overall, offensively and defensively, are much, 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 much better. So I think that, combined with the fact that right now the Saints just aren't playing that well on a consistent basis, I think that's what leads to the mixed results, the one and one record, and Drew having some moments where he looks like the old Drew, other moments where he's missing wide-open receivers, and you're sitting there going, what's that about? And And, you know, as he told us last week before they played, Look, I, I do need to be better. I have missed some throws. I'm not as sharp as I, as I want to be. And and if we if we could figure that kind of thing out, you know, we'd all be gazillionaires if we could figure out why you know human beings just aren't able to call upon their natural skills to perform at a high level all the time. And I, and I know what that leads to. I mean, obviously, it leads to the question of, well, is Drew starting to hit the wall? Is Drew starting to actually see that inevitable decline? After two weeks, I'm not ready to say that. After two weeks, I am ready to say that yeah, there does seem to be some some decline in the margin for error for him. Meaning, he can't throw the football flat-footed. He has to step into the throws. He has to get the torque on the throws. He has to use everything at his disposal to play at a high level. He can't do the same things he could you know ten years ago. I I, I am willing to say that, but I need to see more out of him, like maybe over the next month, to really make a definitive you know call on. Is this really? Does this look like this is the end for him as, a, as an older quarterback? Because I've seen it end badly for other quarterbacks. I, re, I remember my time, and Mark Brunel is one of my favorite people. But I remember when I was in Washington, and we signed Mark Brunel, and right in front of our eyes, we watched his, his career just basically end. And it was like that's not the Mark Brunel I saw in Jacksonville. That's not the guy I remember playing against. What happened? And you know what? His lower body got weaker. He didn't have the same torque on the ball. He couldn't scramble outside of the pocket. He couldn't make those throws on the run. He couldn't hit the tight windows. And that was it. It was over. Now, I know a lot of things have changed since then as far as how guys train and rehab and rest and recover and and their, their nutrition habits. But it does come for everybody, Greeny. It does happen. You're just wondering if you're starting to see a glimpse of it or if it's just all the other factors I pointed to. And that's what makes it so fascinating with Breeze. Especially considering as a team, they're more, they should be one of the favorites in the NFC to make it to the Super Bowl. That's what makes it all the more intriguing.
1: They play another of those favorites this weekend, too Green Bay and New Orleans. So rogers and Breeze, that's a really good matchup. Greeny, with you with Lewis Riddick. Something we touched on really briefly this morning and did not get to elaborate, and, and I'm glad to get this chance to do it, is the performance so far of Josh Allen. And the people in Buffalo are out of their minds excited, and well, they should be. He has played so well. And the only caution I will throw on it is he's played the Jets and the Dolphins and and let's see him when he takes a big step up in class, which he does this weekend against the Rams who have a really good defense and have the single best defensive player in the world. But I I didn't really get a chance to talk about it with you this morning. What have you seen so far from Josh Allen and what do you think is reasonable to expect from him the rest of the year?
2: Yeah, I, I would, I think, you know, I'll take it in reverse. I think for the rest of the year, I think it's reasonable to expect some regression. I don't think he's going to stay on the toward pace that he's on as far as completion percentage and yards per attempt and the number of explosive plays he's you know that they're producing overall as a team in terms of plus-20-yard pass plays. I think that'll, that'll subside some, but I think you also see, and you know, they, they know exactly what they have in him. They know that he is a dual threat, and most people don't think of him that way, but they, they allow him to really advance the ball on his own a lot they call some things that allow him to go ahead and take off and run and use his size and athletic ability. I think that will remain the same. I think they will try to get the ball out of his hands quickly and get it into the playmakers' hands quickly and let guys like Stephon Diggs and Cole Beasley do their work. I think that will remain the same. And I think when, as long as they remember exactly what they're dealing with and, you know, and what his DNA is, I, I think it's, it's reasonable to say that he's going to be better this year than he's been at any point, other point in time. I don't think that means that the, you know, the wild misses are going to totally go away. I mean, they didn't, some some of the greatest quarterbacks, of all look, Brett Favre every once in a while would have those wild misses and wild turnovers, and he was considered a Hall of Famer. So I think that's going to always be a part of Josh's game, and I don't think that's either good or bad. It's just who he is, but I do think he's improved. I think this football team's improved, and you're right. Context is important in terms of always remembering the, the level of competition, like every, everybody in the NFL is a pro. I, I, I get that, and I'm not trying to be disrespectful you know, to a team like the Jets in particular or the Dolphins, but they do step up in class this week. He is going to be under duress a lot with Aaron Donald. They do have a real good secondary, and they have a real good corner in Jalen Ramsey who's going to take away their number one option or at least neutralize it to some degree. So we'll find out a little bit more, but I think he, he's on the right path, and Sean McDermott, the head coach, has done a great job of bringing him along.
1: Yeah, Ramsey on Stefan Diggs should be a fun matchup to watch. No One quiz. more for you, Lewis. The weekend starts today Is brought to you by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app, and that's Thursday night football. It's not the sexiest of games. Miami and Jacksonville, Jaguars are a three-point favorite. But I brought this up earlier, and I'll ask it to you. If the Dolphins should lose tonight... And they have their 0-3, and, and they've got 10 days until their next game, which, by the way, is against Seattle. I'll, I'll give you the next mm. three games in case that factors into your thinking. They play Seattle, San Francisco, and Denver in their next three, but they have the elongated break because of the Thursday night. If they, sure. if they lose tonight to start at 0-3, do you think about going to Tua? You know,
2: I, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? I mean, I'm sure – that those discussions are being had. I, I would assume that they're being had anyway. And as long as he is, you know, nobody, nobody's seen him, you know, outside of his own, his own coaches and his own players. But as long as he is truly, you know, on the mend and able to protect himself, and, and they, they are comfortable where he is at mentally, as far as being able to have enough at his disposal from a game plan standpoint to really get out, go out there and give himself a chance. I, I, I would assume that that conversation then will be had for sure. Because, I mean, we we know that it'd be nice to go ahead and sit and park him on the bench and wait all year long. But when when your team is, like, continuing to lose and you don't feel like there's any hope, I mean, that just does – it just erodes the confidence of everyone else. And everyone – it just starts to drag everyone else down. And, I mean, Tua knows, and they know that's what they drafted him for. They drafted him first to give them hope and then to, like, raise their expectations because he can play, because he's a good player. And they need good players on the field. So, yeah, I, I think it's, it's a conversation that would have to be had and one that I'm sure they're already thinking about.
1: We'll see what winds up happening tonight. Lewis, we'll all be watching uh, Monday night in Baltimore. It's the one we've been waiting for, and I will see you next week. Thank you, my man. You bet. Thank you. That's Lewis Riddick with me here. Bubba, he Lewis was with me with the breaking moves. Breaking moves is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Build
3: your winning team today. Go to LinkedIn.com slash sports.
1: All right. Well done. That was fun. Lewis Riddick is terrific. I'm so happy for those guys. Seems to be off to a very good start with Monday night. And then it's almost like the first couple of weeks were the build up, and here we go. The main event Monday night with Kansas City and Baltimore. This this should be Certainly the most anticipated game of the NFL regular season with the quarterbacks and everything else. Let's see how it goes. All right, we're going to do something here. The phone number is 888-SAY-ESPN. Bubba and Nuno are standing by with you right here, and they've put some questions up, and we'll get you in here. The question is going to be, what do you want to know? You ask me a question about sports, and I will do my best to answer it. Bubba, we got some folks ready to go. Who's our first caller on what do you want to know?
2: Yep, first up is
1: Steven. Steven, what do you want to know?
2: Greeny thanks for having me on the show so I have a real question for weeks I've been hearing in each round they've played that the Lakers are in trouble they said it against the Blazers and they won four straight they said it against the Rockets and they won four straight after they advanced to the conference finals they said they had the easiest path to the finals they dropped game three and now they're saying they're in trouble again what's with Hmm. the confusing narrative because I can't follow here and I want to know what you think Well, I
1: want to know who you're listening to. So to be very clear, I launched this show the week that they lost that first game to Portland. And I said, under no circumstances do they lose this series. And they advanced from there. They went on to the next round and they dropped the first game. And I said, under no circumstances do they lose this series. And they come into this round against Denver. And while I have pointed out that the Nuggets, I give them a lot of credit. They look like they believe they can win. You know what they remind me of? They remind me of that scene in Rocky where the trainer says to Apollo, he doesn't know it's a damn show. He thinks it's a damn fight. Like the Nuggets don't look like they realize we're all just waiting for LeBron to get back to the finals here. The Nuggets think they're here to win, but they will. The the Lakers will win. So I understand what you're saying. Maybe that narrative has flip-flopped a little bit here, there, and some other places. But I told you they'd beat Portland, and I told you they'd beat Houston, and now I'm telling you they'll beat Denver. So so long as you just listen to me, that's the moral. Just listen to me and everything will be fine. What do you want to know with me, Greenie, on ESPN Radio? Bubba, who's next? We got Ruben in Arizona. Ruben, what do you want to know?
2: Hey Greeny, love
1: the
0: show. Thank you for having me on. Uh, my question is
1: around the big week the the
0: week
2: three matchup against the Ravens versus Chiefs. Um so does the winner of that game represent the AFC in the Super Bowl?
1: I, I you know Here's what I have been saying. I will, I will remain consistent, Ruben, with what I've been saying. I believe there are three teams in the AFC that should be separated from everybody else. And let's see just how good Buffalo is. Let's see just how good New England is with Cam. Maybe Indy. Maybe Tennessee. But I think Baltimore, Kansas City, and Pittsburgh. I put Pittsburgh in that category with them as being a big three in the AFC. Does the winner of Monday night's game wind up in the Super Bowl? I'll say this. They have the inside track. Yes. I will say yes. I will say if I had to bet, I think that Kansas City is going to win Monday night in Baltimore. They've beaten the Ravens each of the last two years. I'm going to bet that they will do it again. And I have picked Kansas City to go back to the Super Bowl again. So I'm going to stay with that. I'm going to say the answer to your question, Ruben, is yes, yes. The Chiefs will win Monday, and they will represent the AFC in the Super Bowl. Greeny with you on ESPN Radio, 888-SAY-ESPN is the phone number. We're doing What Do You Want to Know? Bubba, who's next? Next up, we got Scott. Scott, it's Greeny. What do you want to know?
2: Hey, thanks for taking my call. Hey, assuming that Patrick Mahomes and Aaron Rodgers finish 1-2 in the MVP voting, which Super Bowl would you rather watch? Packers against the Chiefs or Tampa Bay against New England?
1: Oh, that's a terrific question. Now, let's even take that out of the equation. Like, like Mahomes, let's take the, the MVP piece out because I think Russell Wilson is the leader for MVP and I hope he wins it. But I like the question, Scott, and I want to stay with it because I think the MVP part of it is separate. Brady against the Patriots is one of the great storylines in the history of sports. We might be about to get LeBron against the Heat. And there'll be something really good about that storyline, but obviously it isn't anywhere near the same thing because LeBron played four years in Miami and Brady played 20 years in New England. I think Tampa against New England would be the best storyline from a drama standpoint. But Mahomes, the new kid on the block, the best player we've ever seen, going up against the guy who he is supplanting for that, Aaron Rodgers, the most talented guy, that's probably the best matchup. If Rodgers continues to play the way he's playing right now, the best quarterback matchup we could get in the Super Bowl would be that. It would be Aaron Rodgers because of all the history against Patrick Mahomes. So I really like the premise of the call. So I would say I'm a sportscaster. I'm in the interesting business. Nothing could be more interesting than if Brady winds up going up against Bill and they get to settle it once and for all. Was it Brady or Bill one game the Super Bowl for all the marbles, which are bigger than any one game? So I'm rooting for that. That would be the biggest thing that could possibly happen. But I think the best matchup would be Aaron Rodgers against Mahomes. I love that question. Bubba, we're doing What Do You Want to Know? I'm Greeny on ESPN Radio. Who's next? Yeah, I agree. I'm going to say, I mean, I might hire Scott as for a who you got writer. That was a great question. (laughs) That's the type of question we need for who you got. Let's go to Will in New Jersey. Will in New Jersey. I'm Greeny. What do you want to know?
2: Well, I'm 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 a Jets fan. I'm from Long Island. I had a Joe Name at mm. Jersey since I could walk I'm fifty one. Um, I, I feel like this year's already a throwaway year and we wasted last year as well. And do you think that we we may have even compromised the career of Sam Darnold with with the you know, the two coaches in three years and the failed systems and I I don't really like the, the whole gates thing. I do have a little hope in Douglas. He seems to have a good um pedigree from where he's from, but What's your take on, like, last year and this year with Gase? Like, did we waste two years?
1: Disaster. Absolute disaster. And everyone wants to compliment the general manager, Joe Douglas. I'll take the other side of that one, too. The most important thing Joe Douglas can be doing right now is helping the team develop the quarterback. And you do not develop a quarterback by giving him the worst weapons in the NFL. Right now, they're all hurt. But the tragedy is that when they were all healthy, they were the worst weapons in the NFL. The Jets had the worst skill position talent of any team in the NFL. You don't let Robbie Anderson go on a short-term deal it would it cost you next to nothing when he obviously had a good rapport with the quarterback. The most important thing the general manager can be doing is helping to develop the quarterback. You don't do that just by drafting an enormous offensive tackle in the first round. You do it by putting pieces around him, even if you're not planning to try and win this year. The Jets are a disaster. And, I, I mean, Gase is ridiculous, the worst, the worst coach, In the NFL, they are ruining the quarterback. Of that, I am extraordinarily concerned. And everyone is so high on Joe Douglas. He did well in the Jamal Adams trade, I suppose. If you're going to trade your best player, I guess getting two first-round picks for him is good. But look how well he's playing in Seattle. Look at the difference that he's making there. So when the best thing you can say about the GM is that he did a good job trading away the team's best player, that's kind of depressing. All right, that was fun. I appreciate the calls. We'll continue to do that. I like this opportunity to chat back and forth, and we will continue to find chances to do it. Coming up next, the most disappointing storyline of the NFL season so far, by far. Greenie, the podcast. The day that Rob Gronkowski announced he was coming out of retirement and signing to play in Tampa, he was going to come back with Brady and they were going to be reunited and they were going to make the magic together again. Rob Gronkowski caught more touchdown passes from Tom Brady than anyone else ever did. More than Julian Edelman, more than Wes Welker, more than Randy Moss, more than anyone. Gronk was Brady's favorite target ever. And I think he was the best tight end I ever saw probably the best tight end ever. And so when he took the year off, we thought to ourselves, he needed a little mental break after all the injuries and the difficulties of playing for Belichick. And he's lost all this weight and look how good he looks and look how funny he still is. And boy, this is going to be a great signing. And so far, nothing, nothing. He's basically done nothing. And he looks exactly the same. I admire Gronk a lot. He's a fun spirit, and I enjoy watching him play. And as much as I always rooted against him in New England, I respect the hell out of him as a player. So I take no pleasure in saying, but Rex Ryan said it exactly right. He runs like a man with a piano on his back. He doesn't look any faster. He doesn't look like it all came back after a year of resting his body. Now, maybe for some reason that will start to get better into the season, but I would have thought week one and week two would be the best he would look. I don't mean necessarily he's in all the football shape you need to be in, but just running from point A to point B. He doesn't look any faster than he did at the end in New England when he looked really slow, like all the injuries had taken a toll. And maybe it's just a reminder that all these football players have just just so many hits in their bodies that they can handle. And he probably, well, he, he may have reached his limit. And as coach Bruce Arians was asked about how little production there's been from Gronk, listen to what the coach said.
2: We haven't had that many red zone opportunities and uh, I don't see him running 40 yards past people anymore. We brought him in to, to just play tight end. If that means no catches, that means
1: no catches. Wow. If that means no catches, it means no catches. I don't see him running 40 yards past anyone anymore. So he himself is saying he looks slow and for what it's worth, they've had 12 snaps in the red zone this year and Gronk has not been targeted on any of them. So it's a tough start so far. And again, the time comes for everybody. It, it is my opinion that Rob Gronkowski should be a first ballot Hall of Famer. He should go in the Hall of Fame on the first ballot. I think he, if is not the greatest, he is right in the handful of the greatest tight ends that ever lived. And he was a critical piece of multiple championship teams. So I take nothing away from Gronk. But just as we said yesterday, maybe the time has come for Drew Brees because it comes for all these guys. Obviously, Gronk is a lot younger than that. He's only 31, but he was beat to shreds. And that's one of the reasons that he walked away. And one of the reasons I was surprised that he came back because his body just looked done. Maybe it is. We'll find out. Maybe he'll get it turned around here. There's a part of me that sort of roots for that. I'm Greeny. I'm presented by Progressive Insurance at Progressive. They're making things even easier. They'll help you bundle your home and car insurance together so you can save on both. Learn more at Progressive.com or 1-800-PROGRESSIVE. We got a lot of reaction this morning about a conversation we had on Get Up about the sweatshirt that Bill Belichick was wearing at his press conference yesterday, and we turned it into, I think, a pretty interesting little conversation about the man himself. Now, first off, our condolences to Bill and his family. He probably saw he lost his mother last week, and um, he and his mother were very close. His father was a football coach, and like all football coaches, was busy and working all the time, so he was raised a lot by his mom. His parents were together, but he spent a lot of time with his mother, and he was Obviously very close to her and she died at the believe she was 95. Um, But Belichick went to a a press conference yesterday and he was wearing a a sweatshirt that had holes in it and was all beat up and wrinkled. And we were subsequently told that this is the first time he's worn it since the year they played Seattle in the Super Bowl. So what is that now? Five years ago, six years ago, whenever that was. And we turned it into a serious football conversation about how there is an authenticity about Bill. And I had two guys on with me who played for him, Louis Riddick in Cleveland and Damian Woody in New England, saying that's one of the things players do admire about Bell. Even those who don't like him and don't like playing for him, they do admire his authenticity. He's just him. And he doesn't give a damn if his sweatshirt has holes in it. It also reminded me, because I can turn almost anything in life into a Seinfeld reference, of the Golden Boy episode of Seinfeld. Seinfeld had an episode in which he had this old yellow T-shirt. It was sort of gold and it was all ripped up. And he pointed out that he was never going to throw it away because that's his lucky shirt. That's his shirt. That's his golden boy. And there's a great moment in the episode. The shirt, (laughs) the shirt dies. The shirt uh, doesn't make it through a spin cycle on the washing machine. And that's the end of golden boy. And I thought to myself, don't we all have those shirts? Do you have that? Do you have a shirt that you know you shouldn't ever wear in public? I have multiple shirts that have holes in the back of them that I still wear on TV because I like the way they look in the front and they're comfortable and they're my shirt and you can't see the back. I don't mean dress shirts. So the jacket is covering that. I'm talking about back in the Mike and Mike days when I wasn't wearing a jacket. I'm wearing a shirt with holes in it and my wife would give me the business constantly. You have to throw that shirt away. There are some shirts I'm just not throwing away. There are shirts in my closet that I have knowing full well, I will never wear them again. How many? What's the over under a number of shirts you own that you know you will never wear again? If I put the over under at one and a half, would you go over two and a half? Do you have four? Do you have four shirts in your closet that you know you will never wear again? I think I do. I also have some things in my closet that I keep because I, 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 they were ex- more expensive than I would have wanted them to be. And even though I never wear them anymore, I just can't part with them because I spent a lot of money on them and I feel the need to hold on to them. Does that make sense? Should I do that? What's the right thing to do in that situation? There are so many etiquette questions in life that confuse and confound me, and I'm looking for a little guidance. So those are part of the reason that I'm back on the radio now because you can answer those questions for me because I tend to get a lot of those things wrong when left to my own devices. All right, we have more to do here as we continue. Coming up next, Charles Barkley said something I'm told I'm going to like. We will hear it for the first time together. Live next, I'm Greeny, and this is ESPN Radio.
0: Greeny, the podcast.
3: This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around... Go to shopify.com slash network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, shopify.com slash network.
1: And very quickly, I insist we talk about golf. That's brought to you by DraftKings, America's top-rated daily fantasy app. And I insist because all of a sudden, everyone is trying to tell me, well, Bryson DeChambeau, the way he has transformed himself and his game, he is going to win all the majors. Now he's the favorite to win at Augusta in November and again in April. And let me stop you right there in your tracks. No, he is not. Bryson DeChambeau is not going to win the Masters. The U.S. Open became all about DeChambeau because DeChambeau can hit it farther than anybody else now, and the fairways are about two feet wide. So if everyone's hitting out of the same rough, I'll take the guy who can hit it the farthest. But that's not who wins at Augusta. The guy who wins at Augusta is the one who doesn't make mistakes and who puts it well, the guy who, who's good on the greens. That's who will win at Augusta. So the one who wins at Augusta is not the person who hits it the farthest off the tee, which is what Bryson DeChambeau has transformed himself into. You can't swing out of your shoes the way he does and win the Masters. So Bryson DeChambeau will not need a triple X, (laughs) whatever size it is, green jacket that he wears these days. I do not foresee that at all. Okay, um... I was told that there was a soundbite here that I was going to like from Charles Barkley. I assume, Bubba, this was from TNT the other night. I've not yet heard it, so we're going to hear it together. Bubba, go ahead and hit Charles Barkley from the other night. You know, these guys
0: act like if you don't win a championship in like three years, I got the boat and go join other stars. Yannis is 26, correct? 25. 25. So can you imagine if Michael Jordan had left the Bulls at 25? He didn't win his first championship at twenty eight. But I want to know, it's funny to me how all these guys on TV today, Well, he, he hasn't won a championship, he's 25 years old. Like he. And first of all, it's not a rite of passage where you have to win a championship. And like I say, I don't want him to go and cheat and try to join other guys uh, and win it. I want him to get better as a player. You know, that Michael Jordan documentary was great. It was great. And just watching when they were beating the hell out of Michael, and when him and Tim Grover says, Michael, how much time are you, after, after the Bull, after the Pistons beat him to death the first three years, and Tim Grover says, hey, when you want to get back in the gym? He says, I'll see you tomorrow. I would love to see Giannis. Said, no, we're going to win in Milwaukee. I could go to another team and team up with other guys and win, but it won't be the same. It won't be the same. That's why I admire Dirk Nowitzki. He didn't leave. Uh, He battled and finally won it, and it meant more to him than uh, partnering with other guys. So I hate these guys on TV. Like, well, he hasn't won a championship. He should leave there and go to a big market.
1: Oh, I love it. I'm so, uh, now I know exactly why everyone said I was going to like it. And Charles, you know I agree with you completely. The whole idea of teaming up and all the rest of that is terrible. The idea of players leaving small markets is terrible. Giannis should stay in Milwaukee and Zion should stay in New Orleans and John Morant should stay in Memphis and the league is better when those guys are in all those places. And then again, regardless of what team he's on, I do like the idea that he shouldn't be chasing rings by just trying to team up with others. Now, I do understand why it might be very frustrating to be a great player like Giannis, and he is a superstar, a brilliant individual player, and to see all these other guys teaming up and saying, well, I I basically can't win if I don't do it. I understand the frustration. Maybe the most interesting part of all that psychologically that Charles just said was when he said, it's not a rite of passage to win a championship. Now, you all know that Charles didn't win one in his career. But that didn't used to be the only thing. We've become very championship-centric And maybe on some level, I have to take some blame for that. And Mike and I started talking about that a long time ago. And we started talking about how Michael had six and what it would take for anyone to try and be as great as him. I think Kobe was the reason we were talking about it originally. And then, of course, it became LeBron. And we weren't the only ones. But we've become very ring-centric. And if you're under the age of 30 or 35, you might be thinking... Well, what what, what do you mean we've become ring-centric? That's always been the most important thing. It really hasn't. I mean, yes, a championship was the most important thing, but it wasn't the only thing. It wasn't like there was either championship or failure. It wasn't like every player who didn't win a championship had a bad year or didn't have a great career. And we didn't generally judge how great a player was by how many championships they won. That really wasn't the way we used to measure these things. Michael kind of screwed all that up by winning the way he did. I, I, I covered Michael Jordan every single day for years. We never talked about how many rings Bill Russell had. Not once. I hosted local talk shows. I appeared on them every single day in Chicago for, from 1992 until 1996 when I left to go to ESPN. Not once did we talk about how many rings Bill Russell had or how many rings Kareem Abdul-Jabbar had or how many rings Larry Bird had or Magic Johnson or anybody. Michael changed that. All of a sudden, Michael set a new standard. He was the best player. Could anyone ever supplant him? The logical next question is, how does someone supplant him as the best player? The logical conclusion is, well, he won six championships. We might as well start there. And that's kind of the way it feels. This wasn't like Tiger Woods chasing Jack Nicklaus's record for majors. That isn't the way we used to judge basketball players. It really isn't. And it, of course, definitively is now. So Giannis will not be a failure if he never wins a ring. And his season this year wasn't a failure. I would say it maybe was a disappointment. And the only thing I will give him some slack on is that I can see where it would be very frustrating to be him and see all these other guys teaming up. I mean, in his own conference, here come Durant and Kyrie together. And he's out there thinking to himself, well, I can't beat those guys. I can see that being frustrating. We'll see what he does. You can check out ESPN audio at home by telling Alexa to play news from ESPN. ESPN Audio at Home is brought to you by Mercedes-Benz Vans. Drive a Mercedes-Benz van. Find out how far an extra mile really goes. From customization and service to financial assistance, Mercedes-Benz vans are ready for anything. Do you judge the passage of time by sports? If so, how about this? Eight years ago today was the fail Mary. The terrible call in the end zone on Monday Night Football that basically ended the referee strike. That was eight years ago. Boy, it doesn't feel that long ago. Time goes by fast. These two hours went by fast. Again, the podcast will be up shortly. I appreciate you spending some time with me. I'll see you on Get Up tomorrow morning. Greeny on ESPN Radio.
0: Thanks for listening to Greeny, the podcast. You can get more from Greeny live weekdays at noon Eastern on ESPN Radio and on ESPN News. And don't miss Greeny on Get Up every morning at 8 Eastern on ESPN. Greeny, the podcast.